Hello, sports fans. I'm Charlie. He's Jake, and welcome to Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes. We've got a great episode for you today. We're talking some quarterbacks in the draft as we've been continuing that series. We're looking at some over-unders. We're going to talk some NBA, so a great episode coming up. And Jake, we're going to start off. We've got a probably, in my opinion, the most interesting guy in this year's draft, uh, Jordan Love. Do we love him? No pun intended. Jake, tell me what you think about Jordan Love. Well, he's a very complex character, as you say, because people don't really know what to think about him. He didn't play in the SEC. He didn't play in a big conference. He played out in Nevada. But I like him. I think he shows a lot of signs of Patrick Mahomes, and we've seen how successful Mahomes can be. So we talked last week, you have to evaluate guys based on their comparisons, and he's got a pretty good comparison in Mahomes if he can live up to that. Well, the interesting thing for me when you talk about comparisons is I've seen the Patrick Mahomes comparison. I've seen Colin Kaepernick comparisons. I've seen Blake Bortles comparisons. Comparisons. It seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who are mixed on Jordan Love. Obviously, it seems like he's been rising a lot, especially with the questions regarding Tua. People don't seem to be sold on Herbert. So he's been kind of like the default is like the next guy up. And you've seen him, at, I think at the beginning of this process, he was more viewed as like a second round or maybe late first. Now it's seeming more and more likely that it'll creep it into the mid first, maybe even early, if a team is uh, really sold on him. So um, one of the knocks on him is uh, he played at Utah State, the Mountain West Conference. Just for a little uh, context, Josh Allen came out of the same conference, same conference as Wyoming. So um, in 2018, he was an All-Mountain West performer. He, uh, he, was, uh, he had a great season. They were 11-2. He had uh, 3,567 yards, 32 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 64% completion percentage. You watch the tape. He looked awesome. They had Matt Wells, who um, ended up taking over at Texas Tech for Cliff Kingsbury. And then um, what happened after was they had a coaching change. They brought in Gary Anderson, who was previously of Oregon State. And 2019 was the team struggled and Love really struggled as well. He still threw for gaudy numbers. He put up a lot of yards, but he had 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, obviously going down significantly by touchdowns and rising by interceptions is a concerning case. It's interesting to me that if you remember, it's happened a lot, though. I remember Josh Allen, he had a great junior season. His senior season was not as good. Sam Darnold, another guy, he had a much worse senior season than his junior year. Well, it's I not think one common, but um, I'd like to hear what you think about the uh, drop-off in production. Well, I just want to say one thing before we talk about the drop-off in production. Coming into this season, he was the number two quarterback in the draft behind Tua. People mm-hmm. really loved him from what they saw last year. And I think last year he had a far superior team, talk 2018. He had some really good guys around him. They went 11-2. They had a lot of success. And then this year he kind of had to step up and play with less superior guys, 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. So I know the interceptions are a little bit alarming, but he was kind of trying to do everything. He was trying to be the hero. They were winning and losing games based on him. So I think he was being aggressive. And obviously you don't want a ratio like that. That's very alarming, but I think he could do it. He's got the arm strength. He's obviously a very raw prospect. I don't know if he's ready to come in and start tomorrow, but I think he could really get the job done in the future for a team, maybe give him a year like Mahomes had or two. Yeah, and I think if you watch the tape, I think watching his performance between the two years, like you said, the difference in talent is really there. The uh, offensive line in 2019, was it wasn't terrible, but he was feeling a lot of pressure. He was only sacked, I think, 20-something 20, 20 times. 
But um, that's more of a product of him like getting away. He's a he's a really good scrambler. He's six four, two twenty four. But he's a he runs a four seven four, and he can get out of the pocket. Even like one of the things that's been uh, brought up as a a con for him is that he leaves the pocket too frequently. So it's interesting to me that a big guy like that, he's still a good scrambler and is um, good at moving the pocket. And, and he really needed to last year, so I don't know how much you can blame him for that. But um, mm-hmm. this year, five games with two plus interceptions. He he had some he had some clunkers. I mean, they played LSU, which we've talked about a lot because it seems like LSU's defense played against a lot of these quarterbacks yeah. who are going to be drafted in just a couple of nights. And he struggled, but I, I can't look at that performance and blame him. Like, yeah. when you have your the Utah State receivers against guys like uh, Deplit and that secondary, yeah. which was probably the best in the country, I don't think anybody was going to succeed. So I'm not really going to hold too much against that. An interesting game for me that he played was against Wake Forest, which is a, a, not a great team, but they were solid. They were good. They, they were good. Same team. They had a really good team. And um, obviously they're not upper echelon, but they're definitely a very solid Division One program. And – like you said, he was playing hero ball. He was uh, – they ended up losing, I think, by 3, 38, 35. He was 33 for 48. He had three touchdowns, but he also threw three interceptions. But, again, I don't know how much of that is a product of him being against – being the only other – he's an ACC caliber player. His team is not that caliber, and he's playing against an ACC team. Yeah. So he's probably forcing some throws, and that's, that's what the tape will show you. Uh, I think we really just need to break down that season he had two years ago when he had legitimate guys around him. 32 touchdowns, six interceptions. That's really impressive numbers. So we've seen that he can be an elite, elite quarterback. So I think we need kind of shouldn't really focus too much into the struggles he had this season with the Mountain West team when he could be playing. He's 32 and six guy, I think. Yeah. I the only there are issues though. I mean, well, first we can talk about what he has. What he has is an absolute gun. He can throw the ball. He can be he can be on the move and throw a ball fifty yards down the field. He will stretch defenses. Some of his long throws aren't that accurate, but again, I don't know how much of a how much of a product that is of just where he's playing and the fact that he might have to put it in a place where his receiver can be the only one who get who gets it because you're not really going to have receivers who are going to be able to grab 50-50 balls. But he, like his arm's great. He's some he can really put touch under the ball. He can really loft throws in there. But one thing that I noticed was he needs to learn to read defenses a lot better. Yeah. That's the one – that's a huge thing for him, and I think that's going to really define him as a player and as a prospect. He There were some throws – and this is where you say it's Mountain West, the rest of the team wasn't that great. But then you see him getting tricked by Mountain West defenses, and you wonder if he's getting tricked by those schemes, what's going to happen at the NFL level? Well, I think it's important, though, to think – uh, as opposed to him versus a guy like Tua or Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow had Joe Brady with him, a magnificent coach who really made him great. Jordan Love hasn't had the great coaches yet that he's been exposed to, that he will be at the next level. The Mountain West doesn't have the same brilliant minds in the SEC. So mm-hmm. maybe you get him a real coach, really can break down film with him, and then who knows what he could be. I think film and knowledge of the game is something that you could get at the next level, something that he will develop. There, yeah, I definitely agree that he can be that guy. But I just I'm, – I'm still tentative on him because there are obvious things that he does that are issues for young quarterbacks and quarterbacks overall. If you can't look off the safeties, which he's had trouble with, he locks into his receivers, mm-hmm. that's going to cause him problems at the next yeah. level. And that's a hard thing to do. 
He has trouble with weird snaps, you know? They're just like little things that hopefully they're nothing, but they definitely would be red flags if I'm in the war room come Thursday. So where do we, where do we see him going on Thursday or maybe Friday? I think he's definitely a Thursday pick, and I could see him going honestly anywhere from 13-ish, mm-hmm. maybe a little higher. I could see him going um, – if all three quarterbacks – if all if, if Burrow, Herbert, and Tua are gone, and I think it's Jacksonville as the ninth or tenth, right? Maybe mm-hmm. he goes there. So I could see him going all the yeah. way up to 10. I could see him all the way, going all the way down to like 30 at the Packers. So it's yeah, so I think that we think that the top three guys are going to go in the six picks to Miami, San Diego, and Cincinnati. I think those guys are going to be gone. So starting at seven, he's going to be the top quarterback on the board. I think Green Bay is a really interesting fit. I also think New England maybe. Mm-hmm. I, they're going to be in the market for quarterback. I think Bel- Belichick could really get him where he needs to be because mm-hmm. he could really polish his skills and have a strong-armed guy like that could be really interesting. Yeah, that would be that would be a big fit. I think it would just be uh, I think Belichick would be a great guy to tutel, to give him tutelage just that Patriots staff overall. They don't really produce obviously quarterbacks who've gone in there. Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo are both Garoppolo's a Super Bowl uh, losing quarterback. Brissett's a serviceable starter. So both yeah. of those guys came out of the New England camp, three quarterbacks mm-hmm. on one team, and all three of them becoming good NFL starters is a rarity. Yeah. So obviously they know what they're doing at New England, but I think over I think you had if that's where it's going to be interesting to me come draft night is that like you said we think the first three are going to go in 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 that in those six picks. So then everybody at from seven to thirty two, depending on how long he lasts, you you know you think you have a quarterback who's the best guy available at the most important position. A team might just say I need to reach and get this because when's this opportunity going to come again? Yeah. Exactly. I was reading an article on ESPN about uh, the Jets in 2000 when they had four, I think, three or four first-round picks. And I think they took Chad Pennington, even though they kind of thought they had a quarterback still, because he was just there and he was the best available quarterback and he had dropped a little bit. When you have quarterbacks, it's such a – like, it's the most important position in the game and they're so hard to get good ones. If you think a guy's good, even if he doesn't fit your immediate timeline, you sometimes have to grab at him. I think the most realistic spot, though, I, where I really think we're going to see him, I think we're going to see him with the Raiders. I think the Raiders are trying to get a lot of guys in there, have a competition. I don't know how set they are on Derek Carr. I think they really want to get it. They have a good roster around them. They want to find the right quarterback. So I think Mariota, Carr, and then Love could be a really interesting quarterback competition. Yeah, that would, be, that, would be, that would be a really talented, very interesting camp. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, Jordan Love, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. I think we both agree that he has – that he has the tools to be a great quarterback. Certainly some uh, question marks there, but um, it's going to be very, I think he's going to end up, if he gets in the right situation, I think the league is going to be put on notice because this guy can play. So uh, now the Odell Beckham Jr. trade rumors. I mean, in the lull of uh, sports news, I think that more rumors come up than us- have come up than usual within this uh, quarantine. <laughs> Everybody's looking for news and, um, so rumors came out on, I think it was a couple of days ago, that uh, Odell could be traded to the Vikings for a second and a fifth. Um, that was, I think, Jay Glazer who said that I could be off on that. And then later on the, uh, the next day, or during that day, the Brown CSO, Paul DePodesta, said, I will just say it's completely false. And he went on to say, this was of the Odell trade rumors, and he also went on to say that it's pretty frustrating that everybody thinks that he's going to be traded. 
that um, and is always trying to manufacture trade rumors. But it's hard to believe those things. I think we can both agree because you remember Dave Gettleman said the same thing. He said, "We're not. We didn't sign him to trade him. Well, mm-hmm. they traded him." <laughs> so well, I think anything that. I never really believe anything that comes out of an organization about a guy. They're not going to say we're shopping Odell, and then if they end up keeping him, it's just causes a rip. So I think that it's just not the right fit. I think it looks very good on paper, but I think the Browns are still a team that's building. And even if they are a team that's in a playoff contender, they're still a building team, a young quarterback, and that's not where Odell wants to be. Odell cares about his numbers. He cares about his appearances. I think he wants to be in a big city. I just don't think Cleveland's the right fit. And if they get the right offer, I think he's out of there. Yeah, and Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report, he uh, said, several teams believe that it's only a matter of time before Beckham gets traded and that he's not a fit with the team. And his stats kind of uh, revealed that. He had 74 catches, just a bit above a bit above 1,000 yards, only four touchdowns. Compare that to two years ago, 2018. He was playing with Eli Manning, who was in the twilight of his career, not really playing effective ball. And um, it was also a year that he only played uh, 12 games and he had better stats than that in every category. So I, I don't know. I think Odell can do so many things. He's a great receiver still. I still would want him on my team. I don't think the attitude problem is as pronounced as um, people say it is. I think it's funny you say that because I actually think the attitude problem is a big issue. And I'm not someone who thinks that attitudes are so important. If you can ball, you can ball. I even really said that with Antonio Brown. But he's been a guy where he had the proms in New York, and then he has a prom in Cleveland. So he really has been a guy who I don't think is good in the locker. He seems to be very conceited, and he hasn't led to winning games. I don't even think he's played in the playoffs yet. So this Browns team was so hopeful, and then they kind of disappointed, and I just don't think he's a leader, and he needs to be a leader. So I don't really know if I want him in my locker room. Well, in that Mike Freeman report, he did say that it's not that um, the team, that it's a matter of fit. The, and the other NFL executives believe if Odell's traded, it's for fit, that he doesn't fit in the offense, not because of his attitude problem. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to say Odell's a little bit uh, – he's a little bit eccentric. He might be – he has an attitude problem. But every single wide receiver in the league is has an attitude problem, if that's what you want to call it. They're these, it's just the way that the wide receiver position is now. They're characters, and they're guys who like to celebrate. They're guys who put up huge numbers. And I don't think you can put up – I don't think there's a top wide receiver in the league who you can really say has never been accused of having an attitude problem or being bad in the locker room. Julio, Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, you know. Yeah. But even Michael Thomas has gotten himself in a little bit of beef throughout his career. It's kind of just a given with the wide receiver position. And I really don't think that Odell is as big of a problem that way. I don't want to get rid of him because of his attitude. I don't think that – and you're saying how the Browns went. They had a miserable year last year, which nobody will debate it was an awful year. But the reason the Browns had an awful year was, one, because Baker Mayfield fell off a cliff. And the reason Baker Mayfield fell off a cliff was not because his weapons were upgraded. It was because they promoted Freddie Kitchens – who is a QB coach, you can't move up that fast. And that that um, that decision is one that it might stunt break Baker Mayfield's growth. It'll it'll it might stunt this team's growth because you can't have a guy who was a quarterback's coach one year go into being a successful head coach the next year. Well I think they kind of got it's a very clearly a poorly run organization. And I think that was Baker's guy. Baker liked him. They wanted to make Baker happy because they thought he was like the next great, next big thing. But I think clearly this season showed that Baker has a lot of work to do. 
and that they should have maybe made a bet. They clearly definitely should have hired a better guy, and hopefully their new coach is the answer from Minnesota. Yeah, Kevin Stefanski. And that's um, the interesting point is that um, if you watched Minnesota last year on offense, there were games where Kirk Cousins was throwing 10, 15 throws a game. He really wasn't throwing the ball that much. That's um, this team's going to be more run like a, a well, like a running team. They're going to pound the ball a lot. They're going to run a fullback, and they're going to try and pound it with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I mean, those are two really – that's probably, in my opinion, the best uh, two-headed backfield in the Absolutely. league. Why wouldn't you use them? So then it comes into question – is it worth it to have Jarvis and Odell? I think you can pick one and go that way. It was interesting because um, uh, it was really interesting to me what um, Dan Orvlosky was saying. They were on a Get Up on a ESPN. There was a little round table, and he was talking about how if you look at o- Odell the last two seasons and you take away the name, you just say there's a receiver who has who's been 21st in reception yards in the last two seasons, 16th in receptions, and tied for 34th in touchdowns. So this is a guy who's a good, not great receiver right now. In, 20, in 2017, he was, uh, he was injured. 2014 to 2016 was his, has really been his prime. It's crazy that yeah. the first three years of his career were the best, and it seems like yeah. – People I mean, were praising him like crazy, calling him the next Jerry Rice, calling him the greatest thing in those years, and then he's kind of had a decline. But I don't know if – I don't – I believe that he can get back to that level. I'll say it right now. I think Odell Beckham Jr. can get back to the level that he was at pre-injury because he's been playing – what's he been playing with? He played on a 4-12, and 5-11 Giants team. He played on a Cleveland team that was so poorly run. He still didn't have a bad year. Given the situation, he played fine. He still had some highlight plays. He still had to guard him. And more, moreover – if you're putting Baker Mayfield in a position where you're taking away weapons, so like you said, um, his guys, um, Freddie Kitchens, they get rid of Freddie Kitchens. Nobody's going to dispute that move. Freddie Kitchens was not the guy to lead a Cleveland team. But maybe we don't know Baker's feelings on that. Baker Mayfield still might have been with Freddie. Then you put in a running a coach who's designed to run the ball more. Baker Mayfield isn't blind. He knows that that's happening. And then you take away his best target, what says that that's not going to lead to Baker completely losing confidence? It seems like the, if you trade Odell, you hire a run first or a run first oriented coach. It seems from if I'm Maker Mayfield, I'm thinking, do they want to move on from me? What what's going on here? I think he's a confident guy, and I think the management has shown that he's their guy for the future, and I think he can lead them to the playoffs. But he's not blind; he knows they have the best one-two running punch in the league. And he knows he's the leader, but they want to win games, and he's their guy for the future. He is their guy. But, but for a guy who's coming off that rough season, they're still going to have to throw the ball, and I think they still will throw the ball a decent amount because I believe that Baker's a good talent. It's a passing but league. It's a passing league, exactly. You're going to have to throw the ball every now and then. And um, who's, But who do they have at receiver? Jarvis Landry is a slot guy. I don't, I don't buy him being – the number one right now I don't know he's a to me he's a 1a you know what I mean I'd like to have a guy better than him in the receiving core and I just don't like there really aren't they they don't maybe they draft somebody they could draft this such a deep wide receiver draft maybe if they draft somebody it would make me feel better well they saw they signed Austin Hooper in free agency I believe they yeah. saw Joku, who showed signs of being really good. So that's a good one-two punch at tight end and Kareem Hunt can definitely catch out of the back Kareem Hunt could catch 
Rashad Higgins, I believe, if he's still there, is a really talented wide receiver who showed signs of being good at the end of last year. So who really knows what they can do? They're very deep. And I think, personally, I think Odell's going to be there in September. I don't think he should be. I don't think they need him, but I just don't think they're going to get the right offer and they're going to get one more shot to run it with all those weapons and see how it goes. And then if it doesn't work again next year, they'll have to move on. See, that's why I'll advocate for Odell Beckham Jr. being there. Brandon Cooks coming off of a season where he was injured, he had his fourth concussion in a cut in the in like a pretty small time span. Got him, got Bill O'Brien, uh, not got Bill O'Brien, got the Rams a second round pick. So you can run it one more year with Odell, and you could still probably get a decent return. I don't think Odell's going to suddenly become a bad receiver. I would certainly value value him over somebody like Brandon Cooks. So I still think even if you run it back this year and give him another chance. You'll still, if it really doesn't work out, you can go back next offseason and still get a decent return for him. So I think why rush? Why not give Baker a chance with all these weapons? This Browns team is equipped to really have a nice offense. I think Stefan Stefanski is the right guy to run the offense, to be the head coach. So I say, I say keep him. Uh, I agree. I think that's very valid. I think you need one more year. I think one year is too, too small of a sample size. Baker's still young, was really careless with the ball. So I think one more year, let him give it one more try. But if it fails again this year, Odell's on out. And if even if they start the year two and six, three and five, I think he's a candidate to be moved at the deadline. Yeah, that would be that'll be a really interesting story to monitor if it comes to that. So Jake, you're one you're one who's a, a very fun guy. You love some games, and um, we're gonna play my our new game on Charlie and Jake's hot takes, the over under game. The Caesars uh, Sportsbook placed their over-under win totals for each NFL team for the 2020 season. And uh, the first one that we're going to look at is the uh, Packers, who were placed at eight and a half wins. Let's hear about this, Jake. I think that's terrible. If I were a betting man, then I would definitely go throw everything I have on the over with the Packers. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, a good offensive line, good edge rushers. I think this is a really good team, a top three or four team in the NFC that's poised to make another run at the Super Bowl. I think a and half is just crazy. It is a very tough division with three talented teams around him. I'd but I think that- that's, a, that's a deep division. But I, kinda, I have to agree with you here. It's one of those things where I, I, I have trouble because – First of all, they put the Bears eight and a half, and they put the Vikings at nine. I think I don't think the Vikings are a better football team. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. The Vikings lost Stephon Diggs. They they lost other pieces. I really don't I don't know if I believe in them. And then the Bears, you really don't know what you're getting. I mean, granted, obviously the wins have to go somewhere. They have to add up mathematically, and they gave the Lions a six and a half. So that has a part in it that everybody's kind of clustered within that six and a half to nine range in that division which is kind of just indicating that the division's kind of wide open, which yeah. I would agree with. But regardless, I mean, you look at this Packers team, they didn't lose much. I mean, coming from the uh, fact that they – one thing you could say is on the outside they're thin, which is fair. Devonta Adams is really their only guy at receiver right now who's proven himself. And then you have like a bunch of guys. You have Alan Lazard who's out of Iowa State who showed some signs. Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and uh, Drummond. I like him a lot. Have both, yeah, they've both shown flashes, but neither of them have really proved to be a number two. Yeah, consistently. And they brought, yeah, they, and then they brought in uh, Devin Funches from Green Bay, uh, from Indianapolis, 
He didn't play. That's an interesting – I think that's an interesting sign. He was really good in Carolina. So, if he could get back to that level, that's a really solid number two wide receiver. I mean, yeah, I think Devin Funchess, obviously you don't know how missing a year will affect him, but I think he's better than the three guys, than Lazar, Valdez, Scantling, or Allison. And then you combine that with Aaron Rodgers, who's still throwing – who's still playing great ball. That could be a really dynamic combination. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I just think that it's a good team. And I think as long as number 12 still in the green and yellow, it's their division to lose. I think that eight and a half is really just a very low number. And they got the defense great, which I think is something that Rodgers hasn't had for most of his career. And people love to knock him for his success, but for his lack of success. But he really hasn't had great defenses around him. I think this is going to be the best defense he's ever had, second to last year maybe. And Mm – they could play, and I think that Green Bay is a team to watch for the Super Bowl this year. I think I expect to see them playing late in January. Yeah, I mean, I have to say one thing. I'd be remiss not to mention that the Packers had incredible health last year. The only notable guy who missed anything really, besides like a game or two here or there, was Devonta Adams. He had a, yep. an uh, annoying toe injury, but it only it only cost him four games. He still had a great mm-hmm. year. In the NFL, you're not going to have two incredibly healthy years in a row. History kind of suggests that, that people get injured. It kind of happens. And the Packers really avoided the injury bug last year. So maybe that could factor into the uh, the uh, over-under that they think some injuries might come. If this team loses Aaron Rodgers for any period of time, this is a fair mark. And you have to wonder, I mean, it's just kind of a, a thing that's more or less accepted in the throughout the NFL is that Defensive production is a lot harder to predict than mm-hmm. offensive production. And in that sense, that it, it, offensive production seems to carry over more year to year. Defensive yeah. production, this Packers defense was really good. And while I think they have some really good players, I don't know if it's as good as it was this year. I mean, towards the end of the year, I don't think they were as good. And you kind of saw that when they played a team like San Francisco who could really yeah, run the ball. they got exposed. They got exposed. I think San Francisco hung 37 on them in the regular season and in the NFC Championship. But yeah, I, they really need to work on that rush defense. They have some good guys who could get to the quarterback, the Alexanders. But I think they really need to work on stopping the run, especially with San Francisco being the top team in that conference that wants to ground and pound the ball. So if you want to get to the Super Bowl, it goes through San Francisco. And also, they uh, lost Blake Martinez, who, while he was a bad coverage tight end, he was their stop-the-run guy. He had 155 tackles last year. Mm-hmm. He was kind of the defensive middle linebacker ace. So even though he might not be the most talented guy on that defense, he did a lot of small things that I think they're going to miss a lot. I think that that's the type of guy who, when you when you he's he was probably their defensive leader. And I know a lot of Packers fans were a little were concerned about losing him, even if it was kind of. I don't think you want to play him. What the Giants paid him, I think it was overvalued. But it's definitely a tough loss. They lost Jimmy Graham at tight end. I mean, he was nothing. He wasn't great for them, but he was a reliable. He was a reliable target. So I think they'll look at a guy like Cole Komet from uh, Notre Dame. This year's tight end class is like very thin. Wide receivers are a lot, but the tight ends are really uh, few and far between and guys that you'd really be comfortable drafting. So we'll see there. Maybe they go later for a guy like Thaddeus Moss. But it'll really be interesting to me if this team hoods a little – it was almost like a honeymoon year with Matt LaFleur. Everything seemed to go That's right. The, the free agent additions worked out well. Aaron Rodgers seemed happy. The uh, Everything seemed to work. Aaron Jones was amazing. That 
just to throw out some stats of that uh, running back duo. So you had uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. They combined for uh, more than 1,500 yards rushing, 17 rushing touchdowns, 88 catches, almost 800 yards receiving, and eight touchdowns receiving. So that's 25 touchdowns and over 2,000 all-purpose yards from your running back duo. But that's another thing. Is that going to happen again? Do you think you get all that from both of them? While there are places where they can improve, I see a lot more places for regression. So maybe this team isn't 13 and three again. Maybe they're more 11 and five, 10 and six range, but I don't think they're eight and eight. Well, one thing I want to talk about though, is you said injuries though. I think they're not a team that's loaded with star power. So I think if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams stay healthy, there's not really any other injuries. One guy that's going to destroy the team. Obviously mm-hmm. if three or four starters go down there in trouble. But as long as 12 and 17 stay healthy, I think that they're a legitimate candidate to be playing late in January. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like we said, you don't have one good edge rusher. You have Zadarius and Preston Smith, who both had over 12 sacks. Then you have that DB group, which is – those guys are really unheralded, but they can play. You have uh, Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Darnell Savage. These are guys who are going to be appearing in Pro Bowls and All-Pro teams yeah. for the next 10 years, I think. I think really highly of their uh, – of their of the defensive backfield that they have so I think the eight and a half is really low I think any team that has Aaron Rodgers I mean granted they did have some rough years in the last the last two years of Mike McCarthy but I think this team the front office did a really good job retooling and if they have a good I I think if they can get some more weapons offensively on the uh during on on the draft I think they'll be in a good position Mm mm-hmm so um, we go from that. Now we go back to our coverage of the uh, draft, and it's back to Tua. You know, we've talked to a bunch. We talked to him on our first episode, and he, we have to talk to him again because everything kind of seemed rosy at that time in terms of Tua. It seemed like he was skyrocketing up draft boards. It seemed like he was going to be the second quarterback, pretty consensus. And then as the draft got closer, it seemed like doubt has kind of creeped back into people's mind, or at least the doubt might have always been there, but it's become a lot more public in the last week or two. So, Jake, let me yeah. know what you think about Tua. So, I think he shows signs. He really can throw the ball like Trent Dilfer said he's the best prospect he's ever seen. So, I think that he really shows signs, but he's a little guy. He's injury-prone. So do you really want to risk a top five pick on him? I don't know, because he hasn't played a full season healthy. He's a li- As I said, he's a little guy. So there's a lot of question marks surrounding him, and you don't really want a lot of question marks surrounding your franchise quarterback. There's not so many question marks with Burrow and Herbert, and is Tua going to get picked up with those guys who have nothing really seeming wrong with them? And, you know, it's really a big risk versus reward thing, because if you're an NFL GM, you're sitting in the war room and you're thinking, if I draft Tua, it could either get me a huge contract extension if it ends up working out, or it could end up in being the pick that gets me fired because he never mm-hmm. suits up for the NFL or when he does, he's just automatically injured. And for me, it's so hard because I watch Tua and I just see a guy who's so dynamic. He's 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 really can throw the ball. He has the arm to make all the throws. He's mobile. He does – if there were no injury concerns – I'll be on the record saying I think he's the best quarterback in this class. I like him a lot, but the, the injury concerns. He's had three, I think, three surgeries, four surgeries. Yeah. Both calves worked on. He's had a knee. He messed up his, his ankle. His, yeah, his ankles, not calves. But um, it's, it's a scary thing, but I think at the end of the day, 
if you think that you that if you're confident in the player that Tua is, I think you still take him, and I think you disagree with that, G. Well, I think it's so hard for anyone to really evaluate him, and with the whole draft process being changed this year due to the coronavirus, I think it's really hard because when we look at him when he's healthy, I agree with you. He is number one, probably above Burrow. He really throws the ball well. But we don't really know now how he's going to be. That's a serious injury that he took, the same one that ended Bo Jackson's career. Mm-hmm. So we don't know. We're not going to know about him until September or October. So it's really hard to evaluate him. And that's why it's a really tough job for general managers. Do they want to take that risk? Yeah, it's one of those things that this is a different situation if we're not experiencing a pandemic because teams haven't been able to bring him into their, uh, bring him into their facilities and have them checked out by their doctors they're relying on the stuff from the Alabama doctors and they're relying on the MRIs that they've gotten and the, all the uh, physical exams and stuff. But it's hard because when you, do you trust that it's a hard thing to trust most in, I, that's why I'm saying this draft to it's, I feel like it's kind of a perfect storm that it didn't work out for him. And that being mm-hmm. in this draft, it's looking like obviously the injury concerns, he got injured towards the end of the season. Then you have the coronavirus, which makes it unable for teams to check him out, which obviously lowers his draft stock. And it's mm-hmm. hard. And just like to throw out some quotes, and uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., obviously ESPN's draft expert, he said that people in the league are saying he could fall, and everybody is doing their due, due diligence, including the Patriots, which I think is a fascinating fit. Yeah. I mean, if, he, if you get Bill Belichick to work with him, uh, that staff, like we were talking about earlier with Jordan Love, they could really do some magic. But no matter where he goes, the health, the health scares are going to be there. He's going to need to learn how to play quarterback a little bit differently. He took too many chances at Alabama, I think. I think he let himself get hit. But I think that's a thing you can teach. You can teach a guy how to slide. You can, teach him, you can tell him you need to be a little bit less ambitious because it will end up costing you a career. And he's going to do – he might do some things, but I think – that he has enough of a skill set. I'm confident enough in, in Tua Tagovailoa as a player that I w- I'm willing to risk the injury. So, so if you're a GM in the top five and Burrow's off the board, you're picking him above Herbert. You're picking him. You're confident with him in the top five. I'll, I'll stick with what I said when we had our Herbert versus Tua debate. I'm going with Tua. I think this guy, the concerns are there, but he, he can be the next guy in the NFL. He's got it. I just, I just feel it with him. He really does a lot on the field that nobody else in this draft class can say they do. He could be a fun quarterback to watch if he is healthy, like Mahomes is and like Lamar Jackson. He really is flashy. He can really sling the ball around the yard. So I really hope he does stay healthy because I'll be excited to watch him. It'll definitely be the, it'll be the story, honestly, throughout the, uh, dr- throughout the post-draft. After, after whatever team picks him, I think that people will be so closely monitoring what um, what's happening with him, What, how he's progressing, when he'll be ready to play. I don't. He's not going to play right away. I think that's yeah. a bad position to put him in. You need to let him heal a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you get a fully healed Tua, I think he's one of those guys, like you said with um, last episode when we were talking about the Giants pick and how you want to pick an exciting guy, you get a Tua. Yeah. That's a guy that really excites the fan base. The I remember in the beginning of the season, a lot of uh, teams that were not having great seasons were hashtag tanking for Tua. So uh, if you don't want to tank for, Tever, tank for Trevor, Tua is a great option. Yeah, I think that 
the fit's pretty obvious. I think Miami at five, it's where it's going to be. They've loved him for a long time. They were tank. They were hashtag tanking for Tua. Thought they were going to get him number one, and I guess they fell to five. And Tua might fall to five. So I think that's really the perfect fit. He could play behind Fitzpatrick for a year or a couple mm-hmm. weeks and see how it works. I think that's where we're going to see him. So now I'm moving on to uh, some NBA. First, we'd be uh, it would be interesting for us to talk about just for a bit. The MJ uh, documentary mm-hmm. is going to come out tonight. Uh, the first uh, one and two, right? One and two, yeah. Nine and ten. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super excited. What are some things that you're uh, excited to see from that? I mean, obviously we all know Michael Jordan is, some say he's the GOAT, some say he's the second best, but that's pretty widely considered that he's up there. So uh, what are you excited about? I'm really kind of intrigued because we didn't get to see him play. We're too mm-hmm. young for that. So I'm really kind of see the man, the legend around Michael Jordan. I heard there's some great stories about him on and off the court. So I really think that we're going to be able to get a good look into Michael Jordan and his career so we can make a real GOAT evaluation because I think it's tough when we've only seen LeBron's greatness. Obviously, we're going to say we love LeBron, but now we have to see how he matched up with Jordan. I'm really excited to see that. What about you? What are you excited for? Well, I'm really excited because I know MJ was talking about how he thinks people are going to hate him after this yeah. a little bit. And, you know, I'm so excited to see – I mean, we all know MJ is such a competitive guy. I'm so excited to see the things – the lengths that he went to to win. His uh, interactions with his teammates is something that I'm really interested in. And I just think it's going to be great because, you know, like you said, we didn't live through those 90s Bulls. We've lived in the dynasty of the Warriors. I, I'm also interested to kind of compare those dynasties – yeah. You know, it's very interesting to compare, like we say, the, the competition level, what the players say about who they were playing. I think this will – and you know that this will definitely spark so much GOAT debate. It'll be yeah. awesome to see that on social media after the episodes. People will definitely be uh, harping on things they loved and didn't like about MJ. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting. And also there was a report that came out that uh, MJ – they had this footage for a while and – MJ only was gonna only decided to release it after Game Seven of the 2016 NBA Finals, which obviously was the game where uh, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers completed that three-one uh, comeback for the first time in NBA history. So I think that shows how competitive he is. He cares about being the goat. So I got a quick little story before we move on. Back when they used to travel, Michael Jordan always said he was the best and he was the greatest. So he said that. Because I'm the best player, my bags are going to come out first. I bet you guys all $20 that my bags are going to come out first to the baggage claim. So they made the bet, but little did they know that he went to the guys in the airport to baggage claim and gave them $10 if they put his bags out first. And then, of course, it came and his bags came out first. He wanted to win. He wanted everyone to know how great he was. He was a fierce competitor and maybe competed in a little bit of a gray area. So I think yeah. we're really going to learn a lot about him tonight and the next couple of weeks. It's certainly not like he needed the $20 from his teammates. He just wanted the yeah. win. That's why he wanted so, to win. so excited to uh, see that. So um, not to disappoint you too much, Jake, but uh, I bet you've already realized it. Yesterday would have been the start of the NBA playoffs. My it's favorite time of year. Us all. Obviously, such a, such a fun, competitive uh, atmosphere at the playoffs. So, um, right now is the uh, – it would have been um, the playoff matchups as they stand because 
we don't know how the rest of the regular season would have played out, obviously. But as of now, it would have been in the West, it would have been Lakers versus Grizzlies as the 1-8. It would have been Clippers versus Magic as the two in Mavericks, not Magic, as the two in the seven. It would have been um, the uh, it would have been the Rockets and the Nuggets, the Rockets at six and the Nuggets at three, and then the Jazz and the Thunder would have been four and five. And then on the eastern side of the bra- on the of the bracket, it would have been um, you want to tell us those matchups, Jake? Yeah, so on the east, we would have got Milwaukee and Orlando at the one and the eight, correct? Yeah, Milwaukee and Orlando one and eight, then Toronto and the Nets two and seven. Mm-hmm. Then we got Boston and Philly at three and six, and then in the middle we got Indiana and Miami. So um, uh, for this one, we want to just both pick a, a series that we like in the first round. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these we have a pretty both have pretty strong feelings yeah. about going to win. But um, one that's really interesting to me is uh, the Boston Philly series because mm-hmm. two teams with a lot of talent, mm-hmm. but uh, different strengths that I think would culminate yeah. in a really entertaining series. So, Jake, who do you take in a so I think, Philly series? So, one thing before we get into it, I think this is interesting because I think this is the second and third best teams in the East, and it really is almost a shame that they have to meet in the first round. But that's how it works. Sometimes Philly kind of struggled a little bit throughout the regular season. So, that's how it is. And I'm a Boston guy. I'm going to take Boston. I think they out-talent them. I think it's huge that they're going to have home court advantage. And Philly struggled so much on the road. I don't see them coming into Boston and winning one. Yeah, I mean, the road struggles are crazy. I mean, you look at the teams that Philly's lost to on the road and it really makes you question what's, what, what's up with that, what's up with Brett Brown. But then you look at them at home, they're 29-2. and two. So it would be one of those situations where you think it might be 4-3, um, Boston wins all four at home, yeah. Philly wins all three at home. But – I have to put my faith in the Philadelphia 76ers. They haven't been great. They've been bad this year. They've been a team that's under underachieved. But I think this was the series that one would have been good because they would have gotten to match up against a team that I think they match up against very well. And I think the size is going to overwhelm the, uh, the Celtics. Who are you going to put on Joel Embiid? Who's stopping Ben Simmons in transition? I don't know if Boston can go – Boston can score with them, but I don't think they can stop Philly. Yeah, that is very interesting. I agree. But I think that Boston's a deep team. I think Boston has that five of Hayward, Smart, Tatum, Walker, and Brown. And although they don't match up well, they have five scores on the court, which is very rare. While Philly just doesn't have scores like that. Ben Simmons can score in the half court. So when Bede's their really only dominant score, and I guess Tobias Harris can get you some buckets. But Al Horford's old. So I think that other than Simmons and Embiid, they don't have that many dogs like Boston does. Well, I kind of – just to rewind on what I was saying earlier, I think I, I tripped up a little bit because what I should say is I think that Boston can will, might be able to defend them a little bit. But I don't – Boston's – it's hard to score on this Philadelphia 76ers team. They're huge. And, you know, I mean, Kemba Walker's great. I like him, but he's going to get suffocated. I like Jason Tatum, but I don't know if he's going to be able to be the backbone throughout a seven-game series. And you look at Philly, I think that they have enough on the offensive side. I think Tobias gives you enough. I think that he can be the secondary scorer of Embiid. Embiid, I think he's hungry after the last playoffs. We have to remember, this team was one Kawhi bounce away from getting overtime in game seven and possibly going into the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. So, um, Or not Eastern Conference Finals, the Finals, right? 
That's with Jimmy Butler, though. Jimmy no, Butler yeah, yeah. is the leader on that team. They're definitely a worse team than they were last year. No, I agree. But I'm just saying I think that those feelings still sit, and I think if you put this team in a playoff atmosphere, there's not that much that can stop them. I mean, you also have to understand, listen, I know they're not incredibly deep, but they still have some guys. I don't know if you remember prior to the, uh, prior to the uh, suspension of the NBA season, Shake Milton – was really yeah. starting to become their guy off the bench. He was even starting some games for them in, due, in lieu of some injuries. He can be a guy off the bench. I trust him to get some buckets. Then they picked up Alan, Alec Burks on the, uh, yeah. on the market, like who was really severely underrated. He can get you 15 or, 15 or 17 points off the bench, and I think mm-hmm. he would be a big player for this team. Josh Richardson has kind of disappointed me since being yeah. traded to Philly. I like him a lot. But I think his three and D is a big – he's the type of guy who I think will come out in the playoffs because those three and D guys, it just seems like in the playoffs, they kind of get – they get a lot more when the stars are kind of uh, going at it. It's always nice to have a good three and D guy yeah. dish it and swish it. And I think that this Philly team, while there are some obvious issues, I think their talent is just much better than Boston. Well, I think there's two things, and I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I think there's two things that gives Boston the advantage. The one main one is which Jimmy Butler, which they lost with Jimmy Butler, is leadership. I think to win a seven-game playoff series, especially when you're going to have to win a couple on the road, you need a good leader. And I don't think they have that. I think they kind of fall apart the scenes when they're losing, and they don't have, like, a strong bond like Boston has. So I think mm-hmm. that, that it's really tough to win on the road, especially in a place like Boston when you don't have great leadership. Mm-hmm. And also I think that – if we're going to talk about Jason Tatum, I don't think they have the forwards to guard Jason Tatum. Embiid can't guard Tatum. I mean, maybe you could put Simmons on him, but Simmons is a guard, and I think Tatum could get to the bucket on Al Horford or Tobias Harris. So who do they really have that can shut down Jason Tatum the way well, he's been playing? I think the way – I think Tatum will burn him a little bit. I think he's going to go off. But Campbell Walker hasn't played in the playoffs since, I think, 2015-2016. It's been a while for him since the playoffs. Yeah. So he's really the leader of that team who doesn't have playoff experience. Then you have a guy like Al Horford who has a lot of playoff experience. While he hasn't had a good year, he's another one of those guys. Playoff, game, playoff games and series are one in the trenches. And he's an in-the-trenches type of player. He's going to play some great defense. He's gonna but is he still that guy? I think he's still that guy. You don't. He hasn't gone from not being that guy in one, in one year. I think the fit was questionable. I think the issue is more with the fit than an Al Horford as a player. But I think this team is more suited for the playoffs than the uh, regular season because the regular season, like you said, you play so many games, you kind of lose that defensive mentality, I think. In the, in the regular season, it's easy to lose that. But in the playoffs, when every bucket matters, there's just a certain ringing up for both teams. And I think when that happens, when Philadelphia really gets into their defensive sets and they have all those guys – I don't know if Boston can score with them in seven games. Well, here's the, what I'm thinking, though, and I think this is the problem with Philly, not just in this series. They have a ceiling on them. I just don't think Simmons and Embiid work well together. Simmons is a guy like LeBron who wants to take it to the rim, and having a back-to-the-basket guy like Embiid, it just doesn't work. Their play styles are too different, and I think that mm-hmm. that's going to come to the fruition with a great coach like Brad Stevens, and he's going to pick that apart, their weaknesses apart. Yeah. I mean, there is – I do think there's a questionable fit. I don't think they'll make the finals, but I do think they'll make it past the first round based on talent alone. I think there's going to be a – you're going to see a couple of games where jo- Joel Embiid is going to score 40 points. 
He's gonna mm-hmm. get his. He's gonna get his money's worth. He's gonna get fouled a lot. He's gonna get Boston into foul trouble because you don't have. There aren't many guys in this league who can guard Joel Embiid, and there certainly aren't guys on the Boston Celtics who can do that. If, but they also all have to stay healthy, though. They've had a lot of injury concerns with Embiid and Simmons, so they also have to stay healthy through a physical seven-game series, which that will be. So mm-hmm. can they do that is another question mark. Yeah. I think Philly really has the potential to compete with anybody in the NBA, the Bucks, Lakers, the Clippers, when everything's working. But I think if one little thing comes out of place, I just don't know what type of team they are. That's fair, but I just think Boston's gritty team, team effort um, play style – I think is great to rack up wins in the regular season. They're a disciplined team. I like how they play. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have really impressed me this year. But I think when the push comes to shove and you really need to get some uh, buckets in the uh, postseason, I think that I'd trust Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid over Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in terms of getting stops, getting scores. I think, I think Philly will be able to get, up, get out and transition enough to get the series win. Well, I don't think we we should forget, though, about uh, the last gritty Boston team that went to the playoffs a couple years ago when they were up 12 points in Game 7 away from the NBA Finals with a younger Jason Tatum, a younger Jalen Brown, no star like Kevin Walker, and they were Kemba Walker, and they were very, very close to the Finals with that great play style. They ran through Philly. They beat a young Milwaukee team, and they really had LeBron on the ropes. Yeah, that's fair, but, I mean – the reason that series was the way it was was because as great as LeBron is, and he was the only reason they won that series, who else – that Cavs team was bad besides LeBron. Who was they the also beat guy? Philly. They beat Philly 4-1. to one. I know that was yeah. a very, very, very different Philly team, but they ran right through Philly, and this is a very different Boston team too. Mm-hmm. I think Philly is in a situation where – this is do or this is make it or break it time for this core, and I think that some teams will bend at adversity. And I just I trust this Philly team like many like few do. I think a lot of people are ready to throw in the towel on them, but I think that they can grind out this series, and then who knows when they play Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think let's go on. What's one matchup you like in the West? Well, I think uh, Nuggets Rockets is just so um so interesting because you have two basically. Completely different teams. You have the Rockets who love their ISO ball, love getting Russell Westbrook and James Harden buckets. And then you have the Nuggets who are team-oriented. They have a lot of guys who could do it in different ways. And um, I'm interested, re- really excited to see that see, to see that series. Yeah. So I think that Houston is going to come out on top of that series because I think small ball will kill the Nuggets. Every time I watch Houston, they do a really good job at taking the opposing team center out of the game with transition, unless you got an athletic guy, which I don't think Jokic is athletic enough to play small ball and get up and down the court. So they're going to be able to take Denver's best player out of the game, and then I don't know how great they are without Jokic, especially with him on the bench. But, okay, that's fair. He's going to have a little trouble on defense. Although Jokic this year has improved so much defensively and people don't want to realize it. They think just because he's a big guy who's uh, kind of funny, funny when he moves a little bit, people are, all, are automatically are, – are quick to judge him as a bad defender. But um, he's really improved against the pick and roll. He's done a lot um, to improve his defense. Obviously, he's going to have some trouble in transition. But all the trouble he has in transition is P.J. Tucker going to – I like P.J. Tucker, but he can't guard Nikola Jokic. 
I agree with you fully. Nicole, yeah, I think go back to the basket, out. hook shots, flashy passes to Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. Jokic will feast if they play. I agree with you. I think it's going to be an offensive series. I think Jokic is going to be such a liability, though, on defense. Can you really keep him in the game, though, for mm-hmm. his offensive prowess? And if you could throw him throw him some doubles, though, how good can he do? Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker maybe could rough him up down there. And then who knows, he's really going to be a problem on defense, which I think the advantage shifts to Houston. But I like the other guys on Denver. Jamal Murray has um, really improved throughout his career. I still think he's – He's, he's still a jump away from really being in that top echelon of point guards, but he can make shots. He's a dynamic player. Gary Harris has had a rough year, but um, he, he's another guy who can really turn it on for them. They've got guys. They've got guys on the bench. I like Monte Morris a lot. It's one of those things that they're just very, very in Denver. They really have a good team, and I think that it's a good enough to win a first round in the series. And – it's made, even that I love Denver. I also don't like Houston. We've seen this over and over again because I see two guys who don't do well in the playoffs and putting them together. It's not going to well, do. We, well, we don't know though. We don't know. And I just think down the stretch, it helps to have the two best scores, right? Cause it's going to be a close series. We can both agree. It's going to be high scoring. It's going to be competitive down the stretch. When you need a bucket late, the two best players are going to be on Houston's team. Yeah. Well, First of all, I'd argue that I like Jokic more than some of those guys on Houston. I don't know if I – I don't trust Russell Westbrook in the clutch because he's done nothing to prove to me that he's a guy who's going to get you a bucket because he can't shoot. Late in but games, he stopped shooting, but sag. he became a much more efficient player, though, this year. He's been more efficient, yes, but they're going to sag off him at the end of games. They're going to double Harden. But they're gonna he can hit an open three, though. He's not a he's a, not a great shooter, but he, if you give him an open three – He's shooting bad from three, Jake. He's really not – I don't trust him to hit an open three. I don't trust Russell Westbrook. And I know that James Harden is continually kind of folded in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But James I think Harden that this is their year. They, they got the guys. And Eric Gordon's a great shooter if you leave him open. So what, you're going to bring the double to Harden. He's got guys who could kick it out. Robert Covington could hit a three. P.J. Tugger could hit a three. They got five guys who could really score the ball from all three levels. Yeah, and James Harden isn't taking that shot. If you think James Harden and um, Russell Westbrook aren't the ones taking those big shots, that's what's going to happen. It's what has to happen. They didn't trade trade, um, Chris Paul, who's a better fit on this team than Russell Westbrook, even though people won't like to admit it to not give one of those two guys the, the big plays in the uh, at the end of the game. James Harden's going to be the – it's not it probably won't even be that much of Westbrook. In the end of games will be James Harden doing his thing, and I think that's great. And I like James Harden, but I don't trust him in the playoffs. And he hasn't but he wants to win. Done. He wants to win. He's had enough losing. He's had enough with the getting criticized by the media. So if passing the ball a little bit to Westbrook and Gordon and the other guys on the team, We'll get him to the next round and get him over the hop and maybe get him to the NBA Finals or the Conference Finals. He's willing to do that. He's willing to make sacrifices. He but wants it's to. It's great win. to say he's willing to do that, but I don't believe that he is. I don't think he will. I don't think he's going to go to the next best guy. I think James Harden will win this series because of James Harden, and I don't think James Harden is going to win this series. I think the Nuggets' depth, I think they're scoring. They're going to have trouble defending, but I think they'll score as well as. Um, with their team, and I think it's just going to be one of those series where you see that this to, the, to me this series is a lot like the uh, Utah Utah Thunder series of two years ago, where Utah had the star 
Oklahoma City had the star power this year with the uh, big three, Paul George, Mello, and uh, Russ. And, you know, first of all, that is one of the reasons I don't trust Russ in the playoffs. I mean, the last yeah, that, years, that was bad. he struggled. I remember the, last, the elimination game, he put up like 40-something shots. He scored yeah. 40-something, but it was probably the most inefficient. He's a, he's a different player now, though. He's a, he you can look at the numbers, player. he's a different player. He's defaulting more to James Harden now, which is good. But I just don't think their playing style, I don't like iso ball in the playoffs in general. They t- play too much isolation for me to trust them in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that it's tough that Houston has to go on the road. They're going to have to steal one in Denver. But I just think that Harden, this is the year with the superpower that they could get over the lump. The hump, not the lump. I think Joker is going to be such a liability on defense. He's not going to be able to play the minutes that he wants to play. He's going to get tired pushing the ball, and I think that that's when they'll be able to capitalize. But I just – I think you're underestimating Jokic. He's made so many strides as a defender. They might catch him in transition a couple of times. But Denver also has a really good defensive team outside of Jokic. They've held the – No, I think Jokic is a great defender. And I think if you put him against any other team, he's a, like almost an elite defender. Not there yet, but getting there. But I just think the speed that they have – he's not a fast guy. You can't make the argument he's a fast guy. He's picked defense centers very well. But you can't make the argument that he's a speedy guy. No, no, no. But I think that they have the defensive – they have the defensive players. They have a guy like Paul Millsap, who's a mm-hmm. grizzly veteran. To me, he's a lot like an Al Horford in that he's been there. He's done that. He can play – He's an older defense. guy. And I think they have enough – Gary Harris is one of, the be- one of the most underrated defenders in the league for me. And mm-hmm. I just think they have enough defense where if you have enough good defenders, you can hide your worst defenders. That's a big thing in the NBA because obviously not everybody's mm-hmm. a defender. But Jamal, Jamal Murray's not a great defender, though. Mm-hmm. I think he could struggle on Harden or Westbrook. So, we'll really see. I think it'll be definitely very interesting. It'll be, it will be a great series. I would see that game going to six or seven at least. And um, yeah. when Denver wins, I will tell you so. <laughs> and I know if the Rockets win, I'll hear it from you. Yeah. And same thing for the other series. But um, that's it for us today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.